Thank you so much. Jesus Christ, the what? The living hope. That's right, man. It's not, we don't serve a dead guy, do we? He's alive, and this is the power of the gospel. And this morning, as we look at uh, Paul's letter again to the Corinthians, this is, this is what transformed Paul's life, that Jesus was alive, a living hope. And it, it, it changed his life forever, and he wanted to change others' lives with that hope. So thank you all for singing that. Appreciate all of you all. Well, um, uh, I want to talk about the Waffle House just for a minute. I know that's special to you all, <laughs> probably to all of us. But uh, I noticed uh, uh, Kevin told me, um, I think it was last week, he ran into some people at, at the Waffle House and invited them to church, and they came. And I think I see them back today, so that's awesome, you know. So um, everybody, yeah, we can clap about that. It's all good. So all of us, all of us, well, I think most of all of us love going to the Waffle House, you know. I mean, I do. And uh, a lot of times late at night when you've been out doing something with friends, go, hey, let's go to the Waffle House. Everybody, everybody likes to do that. Well, this guy, I heard, read this story, a guy named Ethan Crispo was going to the Waffle House. He had been to like a family something, and it was late, and he was coming home. He's like, I just got a hankering for uh, some Waffle House, so he went in by himself and sat at the counter, you know, and uh, as he's sitting there, he's like, man, this place is packed out. It was late at night, as it is a lot of times with Waffle House, and as he's getting in there, he says a lot of these people are pretty rowdy, and he said it's pretty obvious they had been somewhere drinking or partying before they came to the Waffle House, and he says uh, that wasn't really the problem. The problem was is there was a lot of them in there, and I noticed there was only one guy working there, one guy. And uh, his name was Ben. He saw his name tag, Ben. And he's going, uh, and he sat down at the counter. And he's like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to get anything to eat here for a long time. Because this guy's working by himself. And then he says, um, kind of out of the blue, all of a sudden, uh, this guy that was sitting a couple of you know, chairs down from him at the counter got up and asked Ben where the aprons. And Ben showed him, and he put an apron on. And he starts bussing tables, washing dishes. Um, taking orders, and uh, so finally Ben comes over to Ethan and says, uh, who is that guy? Does he work here? He goes, no. He said, does he work at Waffle House anywhere else? He goes, no. <laughs> he goes, well, what is he doing? He goes, he's just helping out. He says, obviously I need it tonight. <laughs> so this guy didn't work at it. He just all of a sudden just put on an apron and starts busting tables and doing whatever needed to be done. And other people are watching this and asking the same questions because, you know, it's like he doesn't have the, you know, the brown and yellow uniform on. And he goes, does he work here? No, he's just helping out. And as a result, other people started getting up and putting on an apron and getting behind the counter and helping out at the Waffle House just because there was a need. And they said, hey, why not help out everybody? And this guy was so struck by this that he actually... Um, Wrote a, sent an email to the PR director at Waffle House, and they confirmed that, yeah, they, they screwed up that night, and they had a, a scheduling miscue, and he says, but it isn't the first time this has happened, and he related uh, a few months earlier, he says, uh, one time we had that happen during the ice storm in Atlanta, y'all remember that, and same thing happened, so people couldn't get there, and customers just started helping out. And the, the person that was the PR director for Waffle House says, you know what, that's the great thing we have with our customers, this sense of community. And y'all have probably seen it there. A lot of y'all go to the same one. They say your name. They know what your order is. There's this, this community there. And it's, it, it can be a very powerful thing. But we're always inspired when somebody does something 
to help out a situation when they don't have to. There's nothing in it for them at all. They're not getting paid. They're not getting recognition. They're just saying, hey, there's something that needs to be done, and I'm going to step up, and I'm going to do it just because it needs to be done. We always appreciate that. And it also kind of has a domino effect. Other people see it and say, yeah, you know what? I want to help out. Not really get anything out of that. Well, if you've been here or if you haven't, we've been doing a, a series on this letter that Paul wrote in the first century to some Jesus followers in a place called Corinth. And Corinth was a, was a pretty crazy place, as we've talked about. And the last few weeks, we've talked about some pretty awkward stuff, haven't we, y'all? I mean, it's been very awkward. Paul was not afraid to address things that were happening in the culture, and that when you became a Jesus follower, your life had to change. And he had to call some things out and call some people out on some things. And he wasn't ashamed to do that because out of love, he wanted them to get their lives right. And so we've looked at a lot of those things. But Paul's been telling the, the Jesus followers that uh, they should be aware of everything that you do in life, people are looking at you. They're looking at what you say you believe. They're looking at what you say you believe in. And they're looking at how that lines up with the actions of your life. And people want to see that those two are consistent and they, they, they uh, are, are the same. And last week we, um, uh, we read how Paul stressed specifically, he goes, don't be a stumbling block. That means when you know somebody's struggling with something, don't do something that might cause them to, to, to stumble, to struggle. Instead, do something different if you have to give up something. And we know, he says, I know you have personal rights. We all have personal rights. We all have freedoms. That's a God-given thing, our rights and our freedoms. But when you use your personal freedoms and your rights, and that is more important than someone else and what they're going through in their life, he said, that's wrong. Don't be a stumbling block. Be a stepping stone. Help encourage that person. Don't bring them down. So one of my thoughts is, and probably yours too, is like I was just talking about, when someone preaches about something or against something or for something and they're very passionate about it, what I want to see is, and probably you too, is, you know what, I want to see if that's true in your life. You can get up there, I can get up here and say all this stuff about Jesus and all this, but what do I do in my own life? People want to know. And so I was like, well, Paul, is that really true in your life? Because Paul says, you know what, if I have to give up meat and never eat meat again, because that's causing one, and last week the topic was, where did the meat come from? Y'all remember, where did the meat come from? If it was sacrificed at the pagan temple before I got it, should I eat it or not? And Paul went through that whole thing and dealt with that. But he says, at the end of the day, if me eating meat causes somebody to stumble, then I'm never going to eat meat again. Now, I wonder, did Paul ever have to give up meat? Nowhere in Scripture can I find that it ever says that he did, but he was willing to do that. But today we're going to hear that Paul actually gave up something that, that he certainly had a right and a freedom to have, but he gave it up because there was a reason he wanted no one to stumble over this issue. So we're going to look at that in just a minute. And what it is is Paul is responding in this letter to something they've asked Paul about. And when he was in, now for those of you who've been here, you know Paul went to Corinth for a year and a half and spent a year and a half of his life with these people. And while he was there, he was preaching and he was teaching. Now, um, in those times in the first century, if you were a preacher or a teacher or even a, a Greek or Roman philosopher where you just went and debated with people, you got paid for that. People either paid you cash or they let you stay in their house while they were in town debating with all the other philosophers or... Um, they gave you food or they gave you something. You didn't just, you know, uh, were on your own. So Paul's saying, you know what? As a preacher, I have the right to get paid for what I'm doing. I spent a year and a half of my life with you, and so I have the right 
to get something in return from that. But guess what? Paul never did. He never took a dime from anybody in Corinth. He never stayed in some fancy house. When we go back to the book of Acts, and Acts is about how the church got started in the Bible, it says in chapter 18 that when Paul came to Corinth, he met this couple, and this couple was Aquila and Priscilla. And guess what? They were tent makers. Does anybody know what Paul did on the side? You can yell it out. Tent maker, thank you very much. All right, so he was a tent maker. And let me tell you, Paul was so OCD that I bet his tents were awesome. I bet they were of the highest quality. But so when Paul went to Corinth, he says, I'm not going to get paid, although I have the right to get paid for being a preacher and spending all this time with y'all, but on the side, I'm going to be making tents instead because I don't want that to be a problem. Because some people were saying, the reason you don't get paid, Paul, is because you're really not an apostle. And Paul was hurt by that. He goes, seriously? You know my testimony. I guarantee you that Paul told the people in Corinth about his testimony. His testimony of, I was going down the road to Damascus. I was on my way to arrest Christians. And God struck me blind on that road. And he spoke directly to me and says, you know what? I'm getting ready to change your life. And you're not going to be this uh, Jew who's all about legalism anymore. You're going to go to the Gentiles, and that's what you're going to do. You're going to start preaching to them. And it changed his life. He goes, y'all know my story. You know I really am an apostle. And he was probably hurt by that, a little angry by that. But then he says, you know what? This is the reason that I didn't take any money. Because some of y'all thought that if you gave me money for preaching and teaching, that you could control me. Y'all ever had people like that in your family who think that they give you something, or even friends, or even your boss? If I give you this extra money, I expect you to do this. There's strings attached to that money. Nobody likes that feeling, and Paul goes, I'm not going to do that, because you're thinking, if you give me money and you pay me for doing this, then morally, I'm just going to let you slide on things. I'm not going to call you out. Um, uh, Politically, I'm just going to let things, I'm going to vote how you vote or do what you want me to do because you're giving me money. So he said, I never took any money from y'all because I didn't want that to be a stumbling block. So Paul is putting his money where his mouth is. He says, I had to actually do something. I had to give up something, and I gave up the money. And so I was discipling you. I was telling you about Jesus. I was sharing that with you. But you know what? I didn't take any money for that. So in the first 14 verses of this ninth chapter that we're getting ready to look at, I'm not going to do that. I encourage you to read it because anything I'm telling you or reading from you from the Bible, I am assuming and would hope that you would look that up and make sure that that's really what's in the Bible. And I'm not just making that up. I challenge you to do that. You need to keep me accountable to what I'm saying up here. So the first 14 verses of that, Paul makes a defense about anybody that does work needs to get paid for it. Don't we all agree on that? If I'm working, I need to get some sort of payment for that. Now, obviously, we do things for friends and family on occasion. But generally speaking, in order to eat, in order to pay our mortgages, pay our cell phone bills, we got to get paid. For what we do. And he says that's normal. And he went all the way back to the law of Moses. And there was a saying. And I want to see if this makes sense to you. This was part of the law of Moses. Do not muzzle an ox. While it is treading out the grain. Now a lot of you older folks. Will understand what that means. But if you're younger. Do you understand what that means? You don't have to raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But Why would you muzzle an ox. While he's treading grain. What is treading grain anyway? Well there was some kind of process of getting the the grain into a form where you could use it for flour or whatever, and he used an ox. And some people would muzzle that ox because while he was doing it, guess what he was doing? He was eating the prophets. (laughs) He can't can't do that. But on the other hand, if he's hungry, he ain't going to work hard. 
So don't muzzle the ox. Let him eat what he wants, but hopefully he'll work better because he's getting to eat while he's working. So this was a saying that was part of the actual Old Testament law, and Paul is referring to that. So the analogy paints a picture that if someone's working, they have to eat. They have needs. They have bills. They have to be paid. And no one's expected to work without eating or getting some kind of goods or services or something for what they're doing. So Paul also said, but Jesus said something about this too. And remember, as I've been saying, Paul always refers to Jesus on an issue because Jesus spoke to these things. And Jesus, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, is sending out 72 people to go and share the good news about the kingdom of God. And he's instructing them, when you go into these places, there's going to be some people who are going to let you stay in their home because you're, they understand what you're doing. And, and if they let you do that, you stay there the whole time and you, they're going to feed you, they're going to take care of you. And he says, because the worker deserves his wages. Jesus referred to this. This is work. And it's hard work, and it's important work, and you need to get some sort of a compensation for that. So Paul's saying, I had every right to get that, but with you, Corinthians, I didn't take it because I was afraid it was going to be a stumbling block. And so Paul is explaining that. Paul says, I did not and would not demand or expect this right from you so that it wouldn't be a stumbling block to some people. Because when I first came there, I could tell it was going to bother some people, and they weren't going to trust me if I took money for it. So I still did all this stuff, but on the side, I'm making tents and making money to feed myself and lodge myself. So we're going to pick up in chapter 9 and verse 15. I think we're going to have that up there. Thank you all. Listen to what Paul says, and this is the, 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 the second part of this, this particular chapter. But he says, I have not used any of these rights, rights to get money for what I'm doing. That's what he's talking about. And I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. And boast seems like, what? You're being prideful of this? For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, am I simply discharging the trust? I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge so as uh, to make, not to make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Listen to what he says here. To the Jews, I have become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And then he kind of shifts gears a little bit and listen to what he says. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes in to strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. 
Well, there's a lot of stuff in there. We're going to kind of unpack it a little bit. But Paul's saying, I didn't use my right to get money or something with y'all because in my estimation, the godly wisdom, the discernment that came from God saying, that's not a good idea in this particular town. But he preached and shared the gospel. He said, I did it for y'all free because I wanted to win you. He was compelled to preach. He was called by Jesus. Jesus called him in a miraculous way, a supernatural way to preach. And that's what he was doing. He was called specifically by Jesus. And he could not not share with people about Jesus. He had to talk about it. Everywhere he went, he had to talk about Jesus. He couldn't keep that to himself. He wanted to tell them about his particular, um, what happened in his life, how God had transformed him. He had this uh, amazing testimony, and he always shared it with people. Y'all know that, what is it, the progressive commercial with Flo? Y'all know who Flo is, right? And there's a commercial out now where she says, can you go 10 seconds without talking about the, the car insurance? And, you know, she tries, you know, and she, and she tells you. She can't, she can't hold back. That's what she does. That flows all about the insurance at Progressive. And Paul's saying, I'm all about Jesus, how he transformed my life. I can't, no matter who I come in contact with, eventually I'm going to bring that into the conversation because it has done wonders in my life, and I want it to do wonders in your life. But he did not use his rights so that he could be a stepping stone rather than a stumbling block. So this next section is something I find very interesting. As we read it, you may have found yourself wondering what Paul was saying. Like, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. To the Gentiles, I became like the Gentiles. Well, what does that mean? Are you compromising, Paul? Are you just trying to be a chameleon? Whenever I'm with this group, I'll act like this. And when I'm over here with this group, I'll just act like they are. So trying to, I'll try to be all things to all people just so everybody will be happy. Is that really what Paul's saying? Well, we know Paul's not like that because... If you've been here in the first few chapters, he has addressed some really awkward situations about sex and about all kinds of things that we've talked about. And he does not hold back. He says, this is what God's word says. Yeah, you have your rights and you have your freedoms and you can do whatever you want with those. But he says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Remember that. And he lives by this in his own life. So he's not compromising, but he's simply saying, and this is something I think we need to understand in our culture of how we don't wait for somebody to finish talking so we can understand them. We wait for somebody to finish talking, if we wait at all, so that we can make sure that we get in ours. You know what I'm talking about? And whether that's in a conversation or on Facebook. I have... I was so embarrassed at watching the debate the other night. I don't know about y'all, but I was like, my two daughters wanted to watch it, and I was like, huh? You want to watch the debate? And we start watching it. I'm going, okay, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I was like, was anybody trying to help anybody out there? It was embarrassing. So I think in our culture, we need to understand what Paul is saying here. If you want to be an effective witness... If you want to be effective in making change in your life and in the life of the people in your life and in this community, in this world, and to have influence on someone, and especially if you're trying to share who Jesus is, then you have to become like them. And that doesn't mean become exactly like them, but you have to kind of get on their level, don't you? You have to know where they're coming from, where they've been. Why do you think like that? What is your worldview? Why, where did you get that worldview? Is that from your parents? Is that something you heard on the internet? Or is that what you really believe? we got to get to really know people by listening. And we gain their trust by really listening to them. Not just so we can listen so we can say they're wrong, but listen to them and go, wow, I never thought of it that way. Being authentic, being willing to be with them without becoming them. 
We are to be in the world, but not what? Of the world. And that's possible. So Jesus, and again, Paul is patterning his life after Jesus. And Jesus hung out with sinners. The religious leaders at the time go, he hangs out with, with prostitutes and with tax collectors and all these people. Why does your, and they, they said to the other disciples, why does your rabbi do that? And Jesus says it's because it's not the well that need a doctor, it's the sick. And I've came here to transform people's lives. And if I push them away and act like I'm better than them and I can't associate with them, how are they ever going to know the love of God? So Jesus didn't have a problem with hanging out with those that the rest of the world didn't want to be around. He was being with them. And this is the model that Paul is preaching and he's teaching. And why did, why did Jesus do this? Why is Paul doing this? He says, because I'm trying to win as many as possible so that by all possible means, however I have to do it. So Paul was willing to talk to anybody. They didn't have to be religious. They didn't have to have the same background as him. He says, I don't care who it is. I'm willing to talk to them and share with them about Jesus. And it's hard for most of us to understand this passion that Paul had because it's not natural for us to have it. Even me as a preacher, I'm a little uncomfortable in certain situations sharing my faith because in our culture, someone's going to get mad, someone's going to get offended, someone's going to already have pre-thought what a Christian means or what a preacher means. I've been, I've been playing, I've ever been in a situation where you had to play a golf with a foursome of people. And um, you just got to get matched up with other people. You ever been in that situation? You're like, I don't know who these guys are. Where they're playing. And it's always awkward because um, we'll start playing for a while. And eventually people start asking what you do for a living. Well, if the guy's been throwing his clubs and swearing, I do not want to tell him I'm a preacher. Because then he'll be different and it'll be awkward. And I would hate that. So I just say, oh, I'm in sales or something. You know, I just make up something. Now, it doesn't mean I'm ashamed of Jesus, but I don't want them to be awkward and feel like, oh, no, I got to straighten up. That just, I don't like that feeling. So I understand what Paul, but most of us, we feel uncomfortable sharing our faith because there's that awkward moment. But Paul's saying, I don't care how uncomfortable it is. This is about life and death, and I want people to know the power of the resurrection. And so I think there's some people who maybe are kind of going, yeah, I don't know, Paul, that being all things to whoever it is, got to be like them. I don't know. So then Paul, it's almost like he, as they're reading the letter, recognizes, let me use another illustration. And he gets to this next one. He talks about a race. And the people in Corinth would track with him on this because he says, think about those who run in a race. They all run to get the prize. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I've been in a few races where, um, you know, like a 5K or something, and you go, I'm not even going to be in the first 100. I don't, you know, but I'm just going to do it because it's a good cause and I'm going to get the T-shirt. A lot of us have done that, right? We understand that. But in this culture, when he talks about this race, they are tracking with him about something called the Isthmus Games. And this was kind of like the Olympics. And every other year they had them and they would rotate different places. But they were in Corinth a lot because Corinth was a big city and people knew about it. This was a big deal. Every other year they would have these big games and there were races. And people saw these races and they saw athletes training and being very disciplined, watching what they ate. They saw them probably running during the day or get, going to work in the morning. They'd see people running and practicing, getting ready for these races and these games. And so he understands. He goes, they do it to win a prize. But he then talks about, he says, they don't just compete to finish. They give up a lot of their freedoms in order to compete in these races. And they compete and train, he says, to win the prize. They're not just doing it for the sake of doing it. They want to experience what it feels like to come across that finish line first and get the, all the accolades and to get a trophy 
uh, a crown, he calls it, which they would put these crowns on their head at this time. And everybody would know, you won the race. You were the best at that race today. And he said, but that, that wreath, that temporary thing will not last. Because guess what? You're only as good till the what? The next race. Because then there's another race and you've got to win that one too. And those are temporary things. They will not last. But he says, we do it. We do what we're doing, getting the word of Jesus out because we want to get a crown that will last forever. It's not something temporary. And notice that Paul says, we. He goes from talking about himself to we. We do it to get a crown. And he's including the Corinthians there saying, hey, y'all are Jesus followers then you need to be about getting that word out. Don't be ashamed of it. Be able to to rub elbows with anybody and share about your faith and what you believe. They're all runners in what's called the Great Commission that Jesus said, go into all the world and tell them about Jesus, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That was the Great Commission. And we get this word evangelical, which has turned into be a bad word in our culture. But that's all that's about, is about that verse. You are supposed to go out and share people that good news. That's what it's all about. And so Paul said, that's what I'm doing. That's what God has called me. That's what Jesus called me to do. Therefore, he says, that's why I did what I did concerning the money. I decided not to take it because I wanted to make sure that that wasn't going to be a stumbling block. And I have to think about everything I do in my life. If I'm going to talk about Jesus constantly with everybody I come in contact with, they need to see in my life that there's something that I I don't just say this stuff, that I actually practice in my own life. And Paul says, I don't run aimlessly any more than a runner does. I have purpose. I use godly wisdom and discernment in doing what I do every day. I don't fight like a man fighting an imaginary opponent. No, I know who I'm fighting against, and I know whose team I'm on. I am disciplined. I'm guided. I'm composed, I'm focused, I'm aware of what I'm doing and realizing how might this affect somebody? How might I do it? I mean, I was thinking about uh, when you said you were, in, you, were in, you were in Waffle House and you bumped into this lady and you said, I'm sorry, that got the conversation started. Everything we do, you never know how it's going to get a conversation started. And after I have preached to others, he says, I, I want to make sure that I will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean Paul thinks he's afraid he might lose his salvation or he hasn't done enough good things to get into heaven? Well, we know that's not true because Paul wrote in almost all of his letters in the Bible saying it's not about good works. It's not about doing things to earn your way to heaven because you can't. It's all about what? Grace. Grace. And we all need that. No, Paul speaks against works and that doctrine and that philosophy And he says, you know what? I was in that training camp for a long time. It was all about how good you could look. But in your heart and your mind, it was all about you and how good you looked. You didn't really care about people. You just cared about being the best and pointing out other people's faults. I was in that camp. I was on that running team for a long time until Jesus struck me down and said, I want you to run for me now. And we run for grace, not for following rules. And Paul, I believe, is referring to how important it is to live what you preach. He goes, I don't want to be disqualified by the actions I live in my life. I want people to say, not only does Paul say that stuff, but man, he really believes it. His life shows it. Paul had done that this whole year and a half with people he's writing to by making tents. He didn't have to do that, but he gave up his rights so that he could win them to Christ. And guess what? A church started because of his actions. 
And that's why he's writing this letter. He's running the race to win to see if these folks stay connected to Jesus in spite of these cultural issues that are going on. So today I want to ask us some questions. What about us? How are we, how are you, how am I running my race? How do people see that? What are we really training and competing for in our lives? What discipline or training are you doing consistently that show that you're trying to lead others to Christ? Who are you attempting to be like so that they can know Jesus? I want to close with this illustration. How many of y'all have heard this lady's name? Probably not many. Her name is Cheryl A. Batchelder. And she is a passionate restaurant industry um, executive who currently is a director for Chick-fil-A Corporate and U.S. Foods. But for many years, she was the CEO of Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. Have y'all had that chicken sandwich? It's good stuff, isn't it? All right. Always talking about food, Craig. What's wrong with you? All right. So, but uh, she's a committed Christian, and a few years ago, she wrote this book about her philosophy of doing business, Dare to Serve, How to Drive Superior Results um, by Serving Others. This is somebody in the corporate world that wrote this book. And in a recent interview, she said this. Listen carefully to what she says. The Bible verse that's on my calendar every day is Philippians 2.3 because I haven't found one that's more paramount to how I want to lead my family and lead my work. And that is this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Again, this is from one of Paul's letters. I really like the choice of words around counting others more significant than yourselves, she said. I believe we're all born with an inner two-year-old. And we'd really still like to be laying on the kitchen floor, kicking and screaming because we didn't get the candy bar that we wanted. It's pretty hardwired that we're self-absorbed little people. And we learn to fake it well, but we're still pretty much that two-year-old on the inside. So I find that biblical perspective really changing in every aspect of my day, how I'm spending my time, the decisions that I make, to put them through a filter of whether I'm thinking about myself or am I thinking about the others that I'm dealing with. Am I doing this because I'll get a bigger check bonus or am I really thinking about the long-term interest of this company? Am I doing this truly for my franchise owner or am I getting some personal benefit that I haven't been willing to admit yet. Those kinds of provocative self-mirror questions hold you to a higher standard. I always say servant leadership is an aspiration because you can never really claim that you've arrived. Because as soon as you do, someone will find you and in a trap of self-interest. It's something you're always working towards. That's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, here's a lady that was at the top and she really, y'all, when she came to be CEO there, she really turned that restaurant really around in a very positive way. But look at what her philosophy of how she does life. It's based on one of Paul's letters talking about putting others first based on your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. And she lived by this. She said, in my family, in my business. And she, I, I love this term. It was pros, provocative self-mirror questions. Y'all ever look in the mirror and ask yourself provocative self-questions? We need to, don't we? Who am I? What am I doing what I'm doing? And that's what she says is important. And she says, you never really arrive. You constantly have to be holding yourself accountable and having others say, hey, what am I doing? Am I doing this for me or for others? 
And we all need to have those questions in the mirror sometimes asking ourselves, am I really projecting what I say I believe, what I really believe and say that is my worldview? Do people see me living that out? Well, we all have those times, but maybe there's somebody here today that needs to say yes to Jesus. Not just live for yourself, not just run the race for you, because ultimately when you're just running the race for you, there's something that that does inside of you. It becomes old, it becomes selfish. And God did not create us to be selfish, but he created us to live in fellowship and make a difference in other people's lives. So we want to give you that opportunity this morning. Maybe you would like to say yes to Jesus and say, you know what? I want my attitude to be the same as his. And as, as this lady said, Cheryl, as Paul is saying to us, it's not something you arrive at. It's something that you have to do every day. It's work. It's discipline. But it's worth it because it, for all possible means and all possible ways, I'm going to try to lead somebody to know Jesus. And that will transform their life. So we're going to offer that invitation this morning. Or maybe you want to be a part of a church where we believe in trying to win people to Jesus. And we need more runners in that race to do that. And we invite you to be a part of that. So we're going to, Kevin's going to lead us in a song. And uh, I'm going to ask you to stand and sing. And if you have a decision you want to make or if you want to come up here and just have a, a, a time of prayer right here on the steps, you can do that as well. But if you have a decision you want to make this morning, I'd be glad to walk you through that. So let's stand and sing together as we prepare for communion together.